0: Retail Revolution, a unique podcast that features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omnichannel retailing with myriad perspectives: technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to current socio-political issues and challenges and their implications on fashion retail, as well as opportunities to innovate and rethink retail's future. Visit RetailRevolutionPodcast.com for more information, including full transcripts, and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Retail Revolution Podcast. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the fashion management graduate program at Parsons School of Design.
1: With 16 years experience in the global fashion industry, living and working in four countries and over four continents for international brands such as Puma, Russell Athletic, Wilson, and Fila, professional fashion designer Jacqueline Shaw birthed Africa Fashion Guide, the only sourcing consultancy and information-based platform for African fashion. Africa Fashion Guide has become a key tool that educates, informs, and retunes the perceptions of Africa's fashion and textile industry, an industry Jacqueline sees and says is a vehicle for trade and development. Now, as an author of the acclaimed coffee table book, Fashion Africa, An international public speaker, a university lecturer, consultant, and industry researcher. Jacqueline, who owns a bachelor's degree in fashion, a master's degree in ethical fashion, and a master's in social research, is known for being an expert and most proudly an ambassador in the ethical African fashion landscape. Jacqueline is at the center of an ethical and sustainable revolution, and today, this revolutionary speaks with me about craft, creativity, and sustainability. I am Christopher Lacey, and this is Retail Revolution Podcast. Hi, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Christopher. It's my pleasure. Pleasure to join you. Thank you for the invite once again.
1: Absolutely. I am really looking forward to our conversation today because I'm going to try to see how much of your life and what you're doing we can cover in about 30 minutes for everyone because you... You think we've
2: got enough time? I don't know
1: because you're doing some pretty amazing things. Thank you. So I want you to tell us a bit about your career trajectory and your arc to this point that you're in now.
2: Yeah, sure. I followed the traditional fashion design route, did my bachelor in a UK school just outside of London and followed that journey as a new designer, you know, getting my first job and fell into sportswear by chance. And then my whole career kind of fell around sports design. So hence the brands that you mentioned, I've been able to work with the biggest, probably or most popular, I guess, being like Puma in the UK. So that was a route that I followed. I enjoyed what I did. I was doing design, a little bit of development. I had the chance to live in various countries, working for different brands and retailers and truly enjoyed the creativity, the craft, the whole experience of working in fashion. But I did find at some points that I also had a big interest in sustainability. But at the time, I didn't really know what it was called. It was just this interest in things like the climate change, which again didn't have that title. It was more around the ozone layer and the, the big hole in the ozone layer, about secondhand clothing and, and so forth. Then I felt that there was something in the industry was bothering me and I wanted to do something about it. I felt it can't just be design that I'm doing. There must be something more, a contribution I can play. And whilst I was at Puma, I was very blessed that they agreed to sponsor a master's that I found, a master's degree in ethical fashion. And literally since then, it's just been an unexpected experience. Just setting up a business I never planned to set up and just kind of fell into it, but have enjoyed it every step of the way. And so now I'm kind of out of design. And doing this this business Africa Fashion Guide with all my effort. And I, I call myself an ambassador because I truly am champion in the story of ethical fashion in Africa, made in Africa and the African opportunity. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Trying to bring it all into a very short term story for you, but that's it in a nutshell.
1: So before we get into your new business venture, which is what brought you and I together, I wanna take a look at your book Fashion Africa and I want to ask you what compelled you to want to do this coffee table book it really is a celebration right of Africa Mm -hmm. in a way
2: absolutely absolutely that's I think that is it during my bachelor degree I had a part-time job to support my studies and it was working in the local library throughout my part of London And I would always end up in the art sections, as you do, as a textile student and fashion student. And I would always see that there wasn't any kind of stories around that, about African textiles. But I, you know, growing up with my my Nigerian and Ghanaian friends, I'd always hear about the weddings and these textiles and these amazing clothing and traditions. And I was like, but I don't see this in any books. So later on, to be doing this business... And I did my degree. I said, you know, what? I have to create a book. I have to create these kind of coffee table books that I know Thames and Hudson, one of my favorite publishers at the time. They kept creating all these beautiful fashion books. I thought I could do this for Africa. I know how to use in design. (laughs) I can interview people. I can bring people together, get some illustrators on board and just just make a book and get it and self publish it. And that's literally what I did, and organized a conference event as well to kind of showcase the book and speak to those people involved in the industry. But it literally was to change the narrative because it was showing um, a sustainable fashion story in Africa, and it was showcasing contemporary African fashion. Because all I saw in the library was from the Maasai cultural group, people from that group, or... Mm that kind of image and I was like no there's something else around Africa so let's do a book that celebrates as you say what Africa is showing today.
1: You said a great word there where you said the narrative that you typically saw is only part of what Africa is about and quite possibly a smaller part than the rest of the world understands and with your research and your background in ethical African fashion with what you're doing through your consultancy of connecting entrepreneurs appropriately about sustainable fashion in Africa, what do you think people really aren't understanding about, one, the narrative of just African fashion in general, and then two, the movements around sustainability coming out of countries in Africa?
2: You know, I think people aren't understanding that, first of all, it's not a country. We always have to go back to that aspect. Africa is not a country. Right. There's so many different countries within that continent. There's so much different traditions and history. And that the African story and African history is not slavery because many do associate that with Africa. That's world history. African history is so diverse, so many kingdoms, so much heritage, so much culture, so much language, so much of everything. And I feel that a lot of people are missing out on that. So even those involved in fashion, they see it as, can Africa make fashion? Can they do that? Is that possible? Do they have the machines? Do they have the people? Do they have the skills and talent? Well, we know a lot of creativity comes from Africa. I mean, music and food and travel is showing that right now. So that's the first aspect. And the, the side around sustainability. Throughout my whole journey exploring African fashion, the sustainable story just kind of linked in extremely well because of the fact that many things are made by hand um it's a cottage industry the kind where you have your own tailor you get things made in small quantities it's not a fast fashion environment and so things are done very differently and things are looked after things are kept things are reused repurposed because that's just how it is
1: you hit on something about things being handmade and the aspect of fast fashion why i find that intriguing is because africa could possibly find itself, and quite often is now, being exploited by a fast fashion business model <laughs> Yeah. from a working standpoint, and then also just from a product waste standpoint. So how can we begin as an industry, and, and what are the things you're doing that can help curb this from getting out of hand, even though it's already out of hand? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm glad you you raised that point because when I was doing my Ethical Fashion Masters, the whole secondhand clothing industry was one that I researched, found out about, explored. This is a beast of a machine, and I'm calling it that because that's exactly what it is. There's a group of people who are making a lot of money at the expense of... they at the expense of the consumers in the, the global West to start with because we make them think that okay you're recycling your clothes you're contributing to this environment by you know not throwing it away but you're giving it away and you're supporting so it makes them feel that they're doing well so a little bit of encouraging a bit of greenwashing and then you know they're exploiting the African well not just the African markets but the the markets the so-called third world a term I don't always like to use they say developing countries because what they do is they're making money off them. They're selling these products and it's a huge industry. And you have to understand secondhand clothing is split into so many levels. So you have the so-called vintage pieces, as they call them, which go to places like Japan and more affluent markets. And then it gets trickled down to what's seen as less and less worthy goods. And they get sent to more and more developing countries. And it really is a beast. It really is a beast. What I try to do is I try to encourage trade. I completely believe that if you want to see change in Africa, then fashion is a vehicle and trade is the tool. And that's one of the major things that I try to encourage is for people to do trade with the continent. So we're not just taking the raw materials, which has been known for Africa, but you're adding the value by producing the finished goods on the continent and then exporting that. So you're not just, taking the oranges or pineapples but you're making the pineapple juice and orange juice in the cartons in the bottles in Africa then you're exporting it as finished goods but then more value is kept on the continent and that's the kind of message that I try to distill amongst those who have time to listen to me (laughs) so um, yeah
1: is there a difficulty navigating that Because to our point earlier, Africa is made up of many different countries. And so then you have the issue of trade where it might be different languages and dialects and all those things that play a role in trade. How do you navigate those barriers? Because different cultures between the countries as well, but, you know, they're border to border in that way, but they're all being exploited in some way.
2: Yeah, you know what it is, you know, um, I just had this vision I and mean, it's very um, an American thing where young people would do, you call it jump rope or double, double dutch? Yes, double dutch. I <laughs> see it as just like that, you have to find the moment to jump in, do your bit and then you kind of jump out and you jump in again when you, as you get the moment. It can be a little bit like navigating double dutch, mm. finding the moment that you can jump in to contribute, bring your expertise and then come back out and then jump in together at another point. It's very complex because of so many barriers. And when I say barriers, not just business barriers, but the fact that you've got borders, the fact you've got different languages and all the things you spoke about. But we're seeing things change. Remember, Africa was a continent which had less borders. And it was only through colonialism that it got separated into the countries, as we know. not so divided. But now what we're seeing is things happening like the African Continental Free Trade Agreement or area, which is a little bit like the European Union, where you may have the duties and the custom challenges like there is today. So that's coming really kind of set up. And that will mean that maybe you've got a ginnery or a mill in one country and then you can get cotton. Let's say cotton from Mali and then it can be brought to Burkina Faso where they've just set up a new organic cotton ginnery and be processed there and then it can go to a manufacturing unit in another African country and they won't have the barriers and the borders that can affect that trade from being effective Mm. because that's the main thing is the ecosystem of the complex supply chain of fashion as we all know it is and creating more connections joining those dots to simplify it my company is launching an African fashion sourcing platform. One of the things that I say is African sourcing simplified. And that's what we're trying to do is helping to simplify that as a means of connecting the buyers to the makers in a today method of doing it, which is for a digital platform. So, yeah, it's complex, but things are slowly changing. But it takes us all working together to see that change happen.
1: I want to pivot from that because that's one side of who you are and what you do. And I love multifaceted people. As you were in the process of doing all these things, you, I guess, got the idea. You're like, I'm going to start a subscription box service. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it is called Wax and Wraps.
2: That's correct. Yeah. I was trying to think of the best word to call myself. I, I call myself a serial entrepreneur. a bit obsessive with uh, maybe it's the creative in me i mean if you're a creative you know we just always have these new ideas like oh i could do that oh i could make this oh i could do that (laughs) and we just don't know when to stop sometimes but in in truth this business was something that i created during the initial lockdown i had a subscription based business model before within africa fashion guide my main company so doing subscriptions and memberships type business i already had that model as part of my business income streams. But then I recognised we're in this lockdown, things are changing, the markets are changing. I've seen my my community, my people, they're struggling, they're getting furloughed, they're losing jobs, they're not sure what to do, they're sitting back thinking things are a mess, I don't know what's gonna happen next and the industry's changing and I thought, you know what, the best business model out there right now is subscription-based business models because they give you recurring income. And I've seen how that has positively um, affected me and supported my own income, even during the pandemic and prior to that. I look at general business as well. I look at things like Netflix and Canva for all the people who like to do the social media, for Canva and even Zoom. Like, we've all become like over Zoomed <laughs> over the last year. And I think they've made a huge amount of money just from the lockdown. But it's their model. It's not who they are. It's their model of subscription, their model of recurring income. And I recognised that I could build a business model based on that, which also linked in with something else I saw happening, which was a resurgence of the craft industry, people getting back to their sewing, their crafts their knitting, getting out of boredom. I could bring the two together that served, obviously, myself that served the community of crafters and teach people how to do it as well. So teaching them that model to create their own boxes. And with an African twist, of course, because, yeah, that's my, that's my niche.
1: So, you know, to give our listeners kind of a rundown of it, it's really quite brilliant. Your subscription box service is delivering fabrics and it's African prints and it's different types of fabrics. But you're also giving them a guide on how to create a garment or a, a head wrap exactly. correct
2: so we have a few different boxes so yeah just to explain the boxes wax and wraps is an african print subscription box company so that means that every month if you choose monthly or bi monthly, you'll be sent our signature box is a sewist box it has fabrics in there it has um, trims and notions this month we're doing a bomber jacket now the fabric for the jacket is coming from one of our supplier partners in Africa who does batiks and so we're getting that fabric we're getting the rib cuffs we're getting the zipper and the linings as well and then you have the pattern as well inside the box so they're sewing kits inside the box and it's with African fabric so not just your typical Ankara stroke wax print. Or what people will call african prints but it's also working with artisans again the whole trade story about africa working with artisans to make the fabrics to print the fabrics to weave the fabrics and those will go in the boxes and i give people an information card which tells them about the kind of fabrics in africa like who made it origin stories Plus, I give them a little gift. It might be like some Maasai airing jewellery or something like that. So they really feel like the Africa is coming to their home every single month. It's Really interesting. And it's really fun for me. It's a fun business for me. It really is.
1: Well, it sounds super exciting. And, and I have to ask you, if someone had no experience with being able to create their own garment and they hear about this and they're like, you know what, I want to start doing my part more with not consuming products all the time and, and learning the craft of, of making this? Could they do it? Could they get this and understand it and do it? Or do you kind of need to be a designer who understands quite a bit of this process?
2: <laughs> not at all. Quite a few of the subscribers will say, oh, I'm, I'm a newbie. I love African prints, African fabrics, and I'm a newbie. And because of this, my YouTube channel is, is starting up where I'll be showing my sewing skills because I used to do bridal wear as well. I've had a bridal business sewing for brides and their bridesmaids so I'll be doing that as well and so yeah it's for everybody really who has an interest in sewing who may be beginners and the projects they can use those, those sewing projects, or they can use something else but the choice is theirs but I'll be supporting them we have like a challenge each month where I give a prize for even if you're not a subscriber you can join in the sewing challenge and make something and just get encouraged and you have a Facebook group and a community And the main thing is to have fun with prints, is the hashtag I use, and also the phrase we use is helping you to take control of your own wardrobe. It's all about the ownership, the ownership of your own clothing, ownership of your own wardrobe, and confidence as well in making what you want, how you want. It's really to empower people in that way and to help them to just have fun during this season we are in
1: this sounds super exciting. And I'm in the US. I know you're in the UK and in between the UK and Africa. So hopefully everyone in the US can subscribe. Yes. please. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll, we'll give everyone information in a bit. I do want to ask you about this because there mm-hmm. has been conversation for years in the industry around and I want your thoughts on this, around appropriation of cultures mm-hmm. and appropriation and celebration. And to your point, you said it's not the classic African prince that, that people think of. But I do wonder what demographic has been connecting to this subscription box because it is really centered around, and to me, it sounds like it's celebrating the artisanry of Africa.
2: It is, yes. There's a comment that I get even when I put maybe a Facebook ad out and people can see it. Well, firstly, the, the most interesting thing is that majority of my subscribers are white European women of a particular age group who've been sewing for many, many, many years. That's the majority. But obviously the people who are new to the market there's people of colour, uh, mostly women of colour who also subscribe. Now, some of them will reach out to me quietly and will be like, I want to because I also have a head wrap box and we have an Africa culture box. And Africa Word Box, which is like books from African writers and like things for your desk, notebooks and pencils and things with African print. So, you know, some will say, I want to get the head wrap, so I want to get the fabric. But I'm just concerned. I'm a white lady. Should I buy it? Should I wear it? Would it not be culturally inappropriate for me to do that? And uh, we talk about that. And I say to them, the main thing is, with cultural um, appropriation, is the fact that many are taken from cultures and they're not sharing about the history. They're just taking it as their own. And that's the main issue. It's more about the sharing of stories, even if like, okay, my family are of Jamaican heritage. Some could say that, you know, I'm, I'm not directly African, you know, and I'm in this African space and I'm culturally appropriating it when I'm wearing kente or I'm even cutting kente, which you shouldn't even do, which I have done, you know, but really you shouldn't cut it. It's a wrapping fabric. And so many could say that. Because I'm black, many don't know, you know, where yeah. I'm originated from. But I believe it's something that we should all celebrate. As long as you're giving kudos back to the makers, you're sharing the stories, then that's it. And also the fact that we do have a mix between you can choose the hand printed fabrics or you can choose a typical wax print Ankara fabric. So if somebody feels, oh, I don't really want to feel you know out of place, they can choose a batik, so nobody would really know where it's coming from because it could be coming from Asia, who do batiks or other parts of the world, that aspect as well.
1: I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you today. I feel like there's so many more things I want to talk to you about especially as we talk more about culture and telling Mm. the, the stories of cultures and handcraft and Really, where can we go with this in the future? But in the meantime, how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing? Because you are setting the world on fire and doing so much.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm just enjoying it. I, I really am enjoying it. And I want others to come on board and enjoy it with me. Come on this journey. So if you are a sewist or if you're a headwrap lover, then reach out on Instagram at wax and wraps exactly as it sounds but wax and wraps we have the website is under that name as well.com you can go to our shop you can even purchase just the fabrics if you want just the fabrics alone we have a shop there or if you're thinking you know what i want to kind of start a fashion business in africa and that's something else i'd like to kind of look into and learn a bit more you can reach out to me at africa fashion guide that's africa no end there just africa fashion guide on Instagram and send me a gift. slide in my DMs, <laughs> say hello. <laughs>
1: Jacqueline, thank you for your work. Thank you for your words. And I look forward to speaking with you again.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit our show page at retailrevolutionpodcast.com and click on the donate link. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.